And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. I sat down a few years ago for an Axe Files with then-Senator Al Franken, comedian-turned-politician. Well, a lot has changed since then. He resigned under pressure from Democratic colleagues in the Senate in 2017 over allegations of sexual harassment, an episode and decision that has been the source of controversy to this day. Now he's a politician returned to comedy, touring the country with a highly reviewed stand-up act of political satire. He came to the Institute of Politics last week to perform some of that show, and we had a chance to sit down and talk about the road he's traveled since we last spoke. Here's that conversation. Al Franken, my friend, good to see you. Good to see you. Back on the road again with comedy. That's right. That's right. I'm on the, uh, uh, the only former... U.S. Senator currently on tour tour, <laughs> and uh, off tomorrow to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, at the Barrymore Theater. Nice, very, yeah, classy. Um, it's the Barrymore Theater, <laughs> and where evidently the Barrymores uh, played, and uh, then I go to Detroit. And, you know, uh, those are the Barrymores of Beloit, right? Not the theatrical family. That's right. Yes. But they funded the Barrymore Theater in Madison. <laughs> um, you say you're the only U.S. senator on tour. Currently. But currently, yes. There may I be think a Lieberman, few more on Lieberman tour. was on tour for a while. There could be a few on, a few on tour after He didn't after sell November. tickets. But I, I, I was uh, struck by a, a line that was written about you when you got elected to the Senate. Okay. And it, uh, in the New York Times, and it said, the comedian's ultimate Faustian bargain, to get and stay elected, he had to suppress his sense of humor and project an air of utmost seriousness. And I had, these, uh, I had this vision of your staff before you went out to every event and hearing saying, now, Senator, no jokes, no joking. Don't Is be that, funny. Yes, yeah, don't be funny. Don't be funny. Were these discussions <laughs> that you had? Yeah, I mean, I internalized the pre pretty quickly basically what had happened is is that everything i'd ever said or written that could be put through a dehumorizer which is uh <laughs> some russian technology yes. by the way yes i think the chinese have actually perfected on it but uh the israelis worked on it too <laughs> <laughs> there's some various versions anyway we got the russian one or the republicans in minnesota got it so i would for example uh, simple example is in 1998 i think it was i wrote a magazine article trying to tell parents maybe they should monitor what their kids get online but i wrote it satirically so i wrote um my son joe did a great fourth grade report last week on bestiality he downloaded a lot of great visual aids and the kids in the class just loved them so that became al franken I think this one may have been the impetus behind some legislation in Florida recently. (laughs) Well, very different. Um, (laughs) I will defend myself there. But it was was actually on the right side of a thing, which is like, hey, your kids... There's no appetite for satire and humor in that. Yeah, but this was something that had been... I had done like, you know, I don't know, 10 years previously, of course. But, But... yeah. But, but but let me ask you, were there moments when you were in the Senate where you just felt this impulse to break out your Mitch McConnell impression and uh, you said, you know what, uh, I, maybe maybe not? 
you know, is easy to do in a caucus lunch. <laughs> I mean, I could be funny in a caucus lunch. I could be funny in the cloakroom. I could be funny on the floor. You had designated my, funny areas. areas. <laughs> Mainly in the go. office. Uh-huh. Mainly in the office. We just had an incredible amount of fun in my office and got a lot of great work done. Yes. But my, I had the... I, I believe that for a whole period of time, the least turnover of any staff. Yeah. Because we just, and we were very serious about our work and we did great work, but we just had fun. The, the honest to God truth, I mean, we're sitting here at the Institute of Politics, University of Chicago, but everything I've ever been involved in, whether it was campaigns or government or here or the business that I ran, um, Laughter is so important. Having yeah. fun is so important. Oh my God! Culture is. Important. You know what? It's really funny. Uh, really important in comedy. <laughs> yeah, comedy. I, I imagine it's 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 it is important, and you're doing it now. You're doing a show that is largely political satire. I guess so. Yeah, a lot of it is yes, but it's funny. I mean, it's about well, political satire can be funny. Yes. Uh, you know, satire is what closes on Saturday night is what they say, but this is laugh. This is funny. And a lot of it is stories about the time in the Senate and, uh, about my, my former colleagues. And, mm-hmm. uh, he says of, with a smile, this is a podcast, but I, there was a Franken-esque grin on his face. Yeah. There's a whole mm-hmm. Ted Cruz section of the show. <laughs> Oh. And um, has he come to see it, or he hasn't? I I don't know. It's there's a thing I say in the show, and I've said this for years, which is that I probably liked Ted Cruz more than most of my colleagues like Ted Cruz, and I hate <laughs> Ted Cruz. Yes, and it's both both of those are true. Yeah. And part of it is that Ted kind of considered himself a fan of comedy. So every once in a while, every once in a while, he'd come up to me on a Monday and said, I saw a old repeat of SNL and the Stuart Smalley was on And that was really funny. I go, you know what? He's not such a bit. Ba- oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, uh, but every once in a while, he'd, I tell the story about, he comes up to me and says, I've, I've written, you do this every once in a while. I've written a joke for my stump speech. Can I run it by you? And so I, I go, okay, sure. And this is in 16 when, of course, Hillary's running. And he starts to tell me this joke. And at a certain point, I go, okay, I know the punch punchline's Hillary's phone. I, I know that. And the <laughs> joke goes on and on and on. And finally, Hillary's phone. <laughs> and I go, uh, well, Ted, your, your, your crowd will laugh at that joke. But I have to tell you, I knew the punchline about a third of the way through it. Now, here's my reward for giving him honest feedback. Okay, you tell me a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, what is the state of political satire and political comedy? And would you have been doing this kind of act 30 years ago? It feels to me like you turn on late night TV, it's a lot more political. And maybe I'm just imagining that. But has the state of comedy changed? I don't know what you're watching. I mean, it's interesting because I go to clubs and I go watch other comedians who I admire a lot. And it isn't that much political. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, Bill Maher does a show that's yes. about that week's politics right. and current events. So it is, is political. But there isn't there isn't a lot. And it's actually, it depends how you do it. Uh, he's carved out an area for himself uh, that he the audience knows what they're getting. 
a number of people have have done that. Yeah, I mean, you've got John Oliver and you've got Samantha B and, mm-hmm. and yes, you've there's got Trevor that. Noah. This, those are all sort of off of the uh, John Stewart th- tree. Those are all the the Daily Show tree, mm-hmm. which started in in by the way, and I did Indecision '92 for Comedy Central, covering the conventions in both the Democratic and Republican conventions four hours a night. So that was actually that was called Indecision ninety two. So that was pre, that predated the Daily Show, and but yeah, that's that tree, <laughs> you yeah. know. And yeah. politically incorrect, which became the current real time, uh, is also part of that tree. But if you go to watch stand up, you don't hear a lot, yeah. a lot of. Uh, I wonder actually, I could make the opposite argument, which is politics is so crazy making these days that people may be more eager to hear jokes about. I mean, you're a specialized thing because you, you, of who you are, but people may lie about life, about day-to-day life. Oh, that's what people want to hear about. Yeah. That's what one of people. And and I go to, basically about a little over a year ago, I started saying, oh, I'm going to do stand-up. I'm going to do stand-up. I, you know, I started in comedy with my partner, Tom Davis, yes, Franklin course. Davis, and we went to high school together. Yeah. And we were big Bob and Ray fans. Uh-huh. And so we did Bob and Ray. So uh-huh. when we toured, we did Bob and Ray, which is very different than a guy standing up doing, or a woman standing up doing stand-up. Yeah. So I had never really done stand-up, and so I started going to this place with the Comedy Cellar. Yes. And, you know, I'm very different than the other performers there. At least half the performers, after they get off the stage, my first line now when I go up there, work out stuff, is, well, so-and-so killed, but no wonder they stole all my material. (laughs) And their stuff is so dirty <laughs> that everyone knows you know but Not, it, it isn't yeah now i yeah i saw i don't know if you saw this documentary we may have talked about it the last time you were on this. the aristocrats no the, about comedian and it was about jerry seinfeld trying to reconstitute his act and I, he may have been at the same place uh, but he'd go and he'd have his yellow legal pad of jokes sure. that's what you and do. a bunch of them just didn't make it and people were like booing and it, it seemed like a brutal process this is so funny i don't know if i've ever said this publicly so okay so arlen specter yes <laughs> okay yeah. okay he loses right right he loses Sen- uh, a long time senator from pennsylvania, pennsylvania. and republican uh, turned democrat right and uh because he turned democrat when i came in uh, we were the 60th and because of that we were right. able to pass the aca so arlen loses and the primary right yeah he loses in the primary so he comes up to me like the next week i'm presiding and he comes up to me and goes al uh, i was wondering if i could uh, talk to you about comedy <laughs> <laughs> and so, so he I, must have been close to 80 then yes so i say to him okay <laughs> and then i realize like he wants to do comedy so he said well you know i was uh, i came in second in the funniest man in Washington <laughs> contest like 20 years ago or something. So I go, oh, okay. So I go, uh, I said, do you know the daily show? And he goes, uh, yeah, I've been on it. I go, well, you know, the correspondence, the young correspondence they have on it. He goes, no. So I said, you've been on the show, but you haven't really actually watched it. Right. Well, no. Okay. Well, they have these young correspondents. It might be funny if they say they have a new, comedian correspondent and it's you because you're so old <laughs> and i go oh. and i said well i'll talk to john about it so i call up john stewart and i run the idea by him and he has really good instincts and in about three seconds he goes 
no. <laughs> and the, so I go back to Arlen and I go, well, um, didn't fly. Uh, that didn't fly. But well, and, and then we let that lay and then he leaves the Senate, but then he calls me up and he had done like he had gotten up at a comedy club in Philadelphia and he kind of told a couple of jokes and it went a little viral. And so Caroline's in New York wanted him to do a week. <laughs> so he calls me up and I go, well, okay. Do you have an act? He goes, well, uh, no. And I go, well, you got to get an act. And I said, you know, there's this movie a comedian that uh, Seinfeld has done and you should watch that because that he it's the yeah. process of him putting together an act. So, well, how would I get that? And I tell him how to go on Amazon <laughs> <laughs> like that. These are elements of an act right there. Well, this is this is just <laughs> the truth. So then he he uh, calls me about a week later. Well, I got the that that film from the guy at Seinfeld. I go, yeah. He goes, I I don't think he's very funny. <laughs> and I just said. You know, Arlen, I just wouldn't do, I wouldn't do the week of Carol. <laughs> and did he? No, I don't yeah. think he did. Yeah. I don't think he did. So speaking of, speaking of John Stewart That's and a looking story at. you've never, not going to hear anywhere else. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, John Stewart and looking at you, short Jewish comedians are all the rage right now because you got this guy, Zelensky, who. Moved, five six played a uh played we, a we all know each other's height <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how to interpret all that but you know he went from a sit playing a president in a sitcom which yeah. is very good by the way servant of the people yeah, yeah yeah it's on netflix and he now is becomes president yes and now he's churchill yes is that like a natural progression for comedians I thought so. <laughs> I, I thought so. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about this, which is when you are a performer, and he's also obviously a writer. Yes. But when you're a performer, you pick up certain skills, right? And I noticed this like when I was on in the Senate that none of my colleagues had been actual performers in, the, in that sense. And I was on judiciary. Many had been prosecutors, but I think they were prosecutors like U.S. attorney and stuff mm -hmm. like that, not people in kind of like courtroom prosecutors. And when you're a performer, you learn stuff. You learn how to present stuff. And you learn how to do it more powerfully or you know, certainly if you're a comedian, be funny, but to be more effective. And he is... Uh, uh, he's, he's a amazingly. great communicator. Yeah. He's a great communicator. Yeah. Uh, uh, last week, I had Mike McFall on my podcast. You may know him, the former ambassador to Russia under Obama. Uh -huh. Oh, yes. yes and yeah. uh, and Mike's very close to Zelensky. And he was he told some stories about his interactions with Zelensky that really, really spoke to a very keen sense of timing and communication and the moment and and you could see it in his speeches to you know he spoke to congress and invoked yes, uh, sure. american history and he spoke to the knesset and he invoked the holocaust and he you know he's he's uh he's he's really really and he throws yeah, off good Churchill lines to the, the parliament yes yeah. yeah yeah really really good so you're back in show business but i know that wasn't your plan right no you know we knew each other when you were in the senate yep you kicked my ass once at a caucus. We, the, we met cute. In movies, <laughs> you know what that term is? Yes, meet yes. Cute. You meet, you have this kind of 
friction and then you fall in love. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I get that. That's uh, usually uh, <laughs> usually a man and a woman, and and in a movie. Yes. And, uh, well, this you, is like a bromance kind. Yeah. Of, yes. Uh, so you meet cute, and we met cute. Yes. Uh, I didn't think it was that cute at the time. Well, but. in terms, meeting cute means not. It isn't cute. It was a. I yelled at you. Yeah, which was my role. You know, when you're in the White House, you get sent down to the hill or up to the hill. Should we review it's a for form people of humans. what this was? It's a, no, I don't want to. It was over the ACA. It's just a long story, and I got a lot to cover. Okay, okay. But, uh, but uh, let me just say that being a White House aide and being sent up to the hill is a form of human sacrifice. Generally, you go when the caucus is pissed, and you go, and your job is to take it. Okay. At least it was. My job was. Okay, this is just very quickly. Uh, <laughs> Scott Brown wins. Yeah, in Massachusetts. Okay, you're going to tell They're, the story, aren't you? Very quickly, very quickly. We now only have 59. It means that the House has to pass the ACA as we wrote it. They don't want to do it. It's there's. It's we don't know what's happening. We have this uh, retreat where you're in front of all the Democrats and. Uh, uh, two people talked before you, Bagala and Tim Kaine. I'm I think the sick. president was there in the morning. He was there with cameras, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure he couldn't tell us what was going on yeah. because he had cameras there. You right? wanted to know what the plan was to get the House to embrace the, chase. the bill that the Senate had passed because you'd lost your 60. You couldn't pass another I bill. I wanted to know what the plan was to get the ACA yes, passed. But yes. And um, for whatever reason, you couldn't tell, say it, right? Well, I mean, it wasn't that mysterious. Well, it was you know, we didn't us. have you, you but, but yes, you were, you were, you were speaking about show business. You were a little theatrical, and you were like, "I'm doing a slow burn over here. I'm livid." I was the, actually, all you now, people come here. No one's telling us what the plan is. And the fact was, we were trying to one by one get members of the house to come over and support the bill. And it wasn't easy and it had to be done sort of subterranean. And you said to me, why isn't the president telling the Speaker of the House to go and and, and to, to pass that bill? And, and I said votes. to you, and yeah. I said to you, look, if you have a, a list of 218 members of the House who are willing to support it, you ought to walk across the, the rotunda and give it to the Speaker because she doesn't have that list. But it was uh, it was it was memorable. Right. And you thought that I was uh, actually acting. <laughs> or trying to act, but I wasn't. I was really pissed. So okay, I was enough of that. Well, I was relieved that you were trying to that you were actually pissed because if you actually were acting, it wasn't very good acting. But if you were really pissed, it was good. My contention is, since I really was pissed, <laughs> it wasn't acting. Okay, and therefore it was very. If it had been acting, it would have been very good acting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll but- leave it there. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more of the Axe Files. And now, back to the show. Listen, I want to run through because I would be remiss if I didn't the circumstances uh, of, of you leaving the Senate. And I just want to kind of set the context, okay? Sure for it because uh, you don't talk that much about it. I understand no. that's not topic A on your list of things to yep. talk about for a whole range of reasons, but you resigned abruptly from the Senate in 2017. Right. And it was over charges of sexual harassment. The main one was leveled by someone, a uh, former model and a, a broadcaster who was part of your troop when you were 
doing USO tours. You were in Afghanistan together. Well, we did Kuwait, Afghanistan, and uh, Iraq, which I had done. This was the, yeah, the you, Sergeant you, Major of the Army's Christmas tour, which this was the fourth. The old Bob Hope tour. It was basically a Bob Hope tour, and basically I designed it like a Bob Hope tour. And what Bob, you were the featured player? Yeah, I was. I was sort of the MC, and I had a co-MC who was, you know, and and he would have, you know, Raquel Welch or Joey Heatherton or something like that. And Bob Hope's character was always the leering kind of kind of guy, and so we would do this kind of old-fashioned. Uh, show we had Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and who I because these were for troops in forward places often yeah in- well there were forward operating bases but then there were larger bases mm-hmm. too so we did we did we we're ba- basically out for almost two weeks mm-hmm. so we did Kuwait first and then we did Iraq we, and, and we Iraq. don't have to go through all the details yeah, but yeah. The, the essence of it was the main thing was that uh, she released a photo that was yeah. eleven years old that had been circulated to everybody who had been on the tour yeah. and it was of you kind of doing this uh leering sort of setup thing where you she had, fa- she had fallen asleep, asleep on and the you plane. were you were i get on the plane the photographer says i'll take a picture without thinking i just go okay and this is the comedy of being a jerk mm-hmm. and we had been out uh, we've been in in war zones we had gone to hospitals we had seen guys who were going to die we had been to a memorial we mm-hmm. were, it was very dark humor and we were also having entertaining the troops, and they loved the damn show. Mm-hmm. And we were, but and you, I was very proud of what we were doing. And part of it was, and so I just took that picture that second, and um, so and, and it then, was it was like a a, a a pretending to fondle her breasts as she slept. It, with it a full even, leering look on your face, yes. you, you didn't touch her. She was wearing body armor, but yeah, yeah. tasteless nonetheless. You would, in retrospect, t- taking it out of context, if you were someone looking at that picture, well, yes, without that's the, what happened. And yeah. it was like right after. It was like a week or two after Harvey Weinstein's thing, and right. it was just a certain moment. And some other women came and said, "Well, he was aggressive with us on picture lines on." photo lines that you you as a celebrity and these are yeah i look i'd gone 66 years without anyone saying anything like that yeah and then i you know suddenly this thing hits and i know what it was and it wasn't what yeah you know and then and then i yes i had been in photo lines and i've said that if i made anyone feel uncomfortable might you know, when you take pictures, especially when you're in show business and something like that, people try to get as intimate as possible. But the point is, this was a particular moment in time. It was. All of this surfaced at the height of this Me Too moment, as you said, when really horrendous charges of sexual assault were servicing relative to celebrities, mm-hmm. to journalists, to uh, executives. Yes, Harvey Weinstein was the most prominent example of this. You had sponsored legislation in the Senate to address issues of sexual harassment. I mean, this was yeah, an issue that you, you had worked on. My so, second bill was on contractors. Uh, there was a woman, Jamie Lee Jones, who had claimed she had been uh, raped by KBR employees. She worked for KBR, and, and I, I think it was in Iraq. 
and uh, she she had signed an employment contract that had mandatory arbitration agreement in it. So I did a bill saying that there can't be mandatory arbitration in employment contracts when it comes to sexual harassment or sexual assault. And uh, that was my second bill. And I, mm-hmm. I got that passed. So, okay. To, so, so you, you did these things and you, you know, the, and I did the, a number bills, of others. These yeah. bills. Now you're being pictured on the screen. Mm-hmm. With Harvey Weinstein and I don't know who else was, you know, there other things surfaced over Lauer, time. Matt Lauer, and, ultimately Charlie Rose. There were mm-hmm. uh, first of all, what were you thinking when you saw that picture that you took in Afghanistan eleven years earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I knew the the context of the time, and I went, "Oh my God!" That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I went, "Oh my God!" And I know, and then also. I immediately kind of went a little bit in the shock and she was accusing me of stuff that, you know, wasn't, wasn't true. She accused you of stealing uh, kisses at a, in a rehearsal uh, for the skit. Yeah, more than stealing. I mean, anyway, uh, Jane Mayer talks. About, yeah. Yeah. About this, and I suggest uh, people like, read Jane Mayer, really a, a fine one of the great investigative reporters yeah. in the country did a very long takeout. I think the most exhaustive one on this whole episode. The only, in, only one. In, in the New Yorker. And I, I suggest people who are interested yeah. find it. So now you're. So now I'm going like, oh, my God. And my team says, well, what if there are other. Uh, that It's that day. What if there are other uh, allegations? I go, oh, there aren't going to be. Now, remember, I had. Uh, you know, I worked at SNL for 15 seasons with a lot of women. I mean, I've just nothing like this had ever happened. So then, they, then these other allegations happen. And I said, "Well, okay, uh, look, I it's never my intention to make a woman feel uncomfortable, and if I did, I apologize. I, I, I apologize." And to me, that has been logged as he admitted it or something like that. And uh, okay, well, um, but. Uh, but but, but you, I would I would ask people to read Jane. But on the, but but you, but here's the conundrum, and this is the challenge of our times. For time and memorial, uh, women who made these allegations yeah, were not taken seriously. Right. I mean, that's one of the reasons you wrote the bills you wrote, uh, and they deserve to be taken seriously. Absolutely. It was horrendous that they they weren't. On the other hand. It's also true that any allegation both should be taken seriously, but they should also warrant a hearing, a fair hearing. Yeah, and that's what I asked for. I asked for, you know, I, I said right away, I asked for an ethics investigation, mm-hmm. the ethics process, the ethics process. You know, Gene Shaheen, Brian Schatz, who else was on on the Democratic side, and then three on the Republican side, to do an ethics hearing and investigation. And that's what I asked for. And I thought, okay, that's the right way to handle this. And my colleagues, I... Well, there was another thing going on right there. Yes, I mean, there this was. was like a perfect storm. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Because yeah. it was the peak of all the pent-up, I think, righteous... In- Rightful righteous indignation <laughs> yeah. uh, over generations of millennium, right, 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 right. <laughs> you know. uh, of, the, of these kinds of charges being leveled but ignored. Plus... You had a political storm going on, which was there was a special election in Alabama for the Senate. Democrats had a rare opportunity to get that seat because the Republican nominee was accused of some really dramatic 
yeah. uh, you know, with under, uh, you know, assaulting underage uh, women and so on. But the dilemma for Democrats, as they saw it, was, well, how can we defend Franken and attack that guy? that this would make us less effective. So there was a very quick move to get you to to yep. leave. Yep. And so I never, had a Democratic governor. Yeah, so yes. Had you had a Republican governor, there would have been a less of a... They wouldn't have they done would, that. Yeah, it's interesting. You said in the Jay Mayer piece that you regretted mm-hmm. resigning. And so how much do you feel culpable? And how much do you feel like that was a big mistake? that I left because I know how much you love that job. And I want to talk to you about the Senate in a second. But. You know, one of the things about trauma, and this was a traumatic yeah. experience to me, partly because it was so public, partly because I lost this, this job that meant so much to me because I could do so much with it. And also when you're a politician, what you're judged by is how effective you are and resigning isn't very effective. <laughs> So part of it is I go in circles all the time and it drives me nuts. And part of it is what is, could I have stayed there? And the pressure that was put on me uh, was tremendous. And I felt like my staff was being kind of, um, I didn't know what was going to happen to them. I didn't know. And and the leader himself, uh, Senator Schumer, he was. He was not. Not helpful. On, on Oh, yeah. So you left. Yep. And the fact is. You and I weren't very close, but we talked a lot after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was very, very clear to me, and you were very clear, that this was trying. You know, we, I think it, you and I both would agree that women who, who go through the experience of sexual harassment, sexual assault, that is a traumatic experience Absolutely. for them. And, and, they, and the ways in which they are victimized, those have to be honored and recognized. There's so, ma- so much trauma. I mean, think about people during this pandemic. Losing family, yeah, or almost, or being isolated in the way they were, or people in Ukraine right now. Yes, I mean, well, so comparing no. trauma is probably not a productive. But it's important. Thing. But it's and Im- I'm not. I'm not saying you are. I'm yeah, no, saying no, no, that no. I'm. Saying, I don't want to do all, that. All I'm saying is that I know you don't want to dismiss that, but I want to really probe your own experience mm-hmm. after this, because. This happened lightning fast, yep. and all of a sudden your life is turned upside down. And tell me what you went through. Tell me, you know, I talk a lot about mental health and mental illness on this show because um, of personal experiences that I've had in my own family. Mm-hmm. And because I think it's important that we talk about it because it's part of the human condition. Yep. But you went through serious, serious depression. Yeah, um, I did. And it was... Uh, from the t- this, it was a tr- very traumatic experience, and part of it is that it's 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 in it stays in your body. How did and, it manifest itself? Well, a lot of it goes through where you some juices flow <laughs> that are not helpful juices, you know, and uh, so it, it's a physical phenomenon, and then it also it affects your brain. And so that you start going to the same place over and over again and can't stop. These are, you know, uh, the body keeps the score is the book uh, by Vanderkoek about this and other, other books as well. There's been a lot of research on this and about, on veterans, you know. And so it's 
very, very much in your body and very physical and it's, it's there. And, and I've, I had, fortunately I had, I have a great family and I have friends, really good friends, but I had friends who were really incredibly well-meaning who would go like, well, just get over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just like, okay, just, it's been a month, <laughs> you yeah. know, get over it. And I go like, okay, yeah. well, I'd I mean, love explain to. explain that because, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that is actually the core of this, which is you can't. If you're if you're mired in depression, you're in a long dark tunnel, and it's not exactly clear where the light is. Yeah, and it really like literally is something you flash back to, and something you. I mean, I would wake up every morning. That's where I would be. You you start thinking in circles, which does you absolutely no good and you know that your therapist says you know that doesn't do you any good but you but if you have a good therapist they're also saying you can't help it so thinking in circles (laughs) when you say thinking in circles like going back to everything that happened thinking about what you could have done what you should have done yeah what i could have should have would have could have should have would have is not helpful yeah one of your predecessors as senator from uh minnesota hubert humphrey one said the two biggest clubs in the world are the Widow Club and the Shoulda Club, and neither are worth belonging to. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, but when you're depressed, really? it's yeah. I don't remember that. I yeah, there. I'm giving you a little Minnesota stuff. No, thank you. Know. you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so how did you dig out, and how long did it take for you to dig out? Well, you've been, by the way, in the spotlight since you were a young man. I mean, you had been a public person. Yeah, and basically on an arc up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I've had some real downs. I made uh, movies that completely failed and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, this was just uh, a unique experience uh, in my life. I had had a very fortunate life up to then in many, many ways and mo- almost always. And uh, this was just a blow. And, uh, you know, and again, I just want everyone to understand who's listening that I know that other, I don't want to compare yeah. my trauma to anybody else's or, you know. And, but what advice would you give people who who are going through trauma, acknowledging that everybody's story is different, but there are certain common elements of depression that everybody feels. And I think part of it is maybe a feeling that this is unique to you that this is something that you know no one would understand because it's it does to help to read mm-hmm. and it helps to get pointed in the right direction by someone who knows stuff and i have a therapist i went through a few therapists till i found one that i really felt was who i've been with a few years now who i i felt did me some good i had one that would do a lot of like and how do you feel now Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, uh, well, I'm a little confused. And how do you feel now? I'm still confused. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you feel now? I'm kind of getting angry. <laughs> I'm thinking, how do you feel now? Angrier. You know, and she didn't last long. <laughs> yeah. But so you have to find someone who fits. She might have been perfect for uh, someone who says, oh, I feel uh, this. I mean, who maybe was more in touch with their feelings at the time. So, so finding the right person is, is one. That's, that's it. Also, it really does help 
to have supportive family and friends. I mean, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I have four grandchildren and, you know, there's nothing like grandkids to go get out of it, you know? And I have uh, an eight-year-old who's going to be nine next month. Then I have a a five-year-old who's his sister. Then I have a six-year-old boy on the other side and a three-year-old girl. And they're all very different. And they all love me. Mm -hmm. And cuddling is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Touch means so much. And you know who said that to me? Paul Wellstone. Is that right? Your your mentor. Um, Well. Friend. My friend. I... I, I think when, when you say someone's my same. mentor, you're taking too much credit <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for like, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, but, but he was a great progressive the, senator I'll tell you from the context. Uh, Minnesota. I'll tell you the context. This is just a few weeks before he died. I did a fundraiser for him. He died in a plane crash. I think most people remember. Yeah, yes, of course. So my mom was in a nursing home and had dementia. and In Minnesota. In Minnesota. So I see him at this uh, event, get there early. He said, how's your mom? And I said, well, you know, it's hard because sometimes I get there and I really can't even have a conversation. I can't talk to her. And he goes, you know, touch means so much. Mm. And that's Paul, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, after that event, I went to her. She was at this uh this great place and went out to this beautiful garden and she was not in great shape, but I hugged her. And it did make a f- difference, at least to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I think to her, and that was Paul. And that actually, Paul was the reason I ran for the Senate. Mm-hmm. You no, know? I remember. Yeah. You know, one thing I would say about, I think, I mean, I have grandchildren now too. I, I was visiting with a friend who was quite ill this week and I left uh, that meeting and I was really despairing because he obviously was in very bad shape. And uh, I saw a message on my phone from my seven-year-old granddaughter, and I called her back, and she was filled with excitement, wanting to tell me about how she had studied the Mayans at school that day and how exciting it was. And, you know, she filled me in on the rest of her day, and it it was a tonic. But I'll tell you this, you know, my dad, and I've talked about this very often probably more often than I should here because it's it's something that I think about a lot. But my dad, uh, I lost him to suicide. And when you say family's important, one of my great regrets is that he didn't feel like he could burden mm-hmm. us yeah. with that. So well, you don't really feel like burdening your family with that. Yeah. You know, you don't say, um, keep me away from the subway <laughs> platform, you know. Yeah. yeah you don't want to worry them. But-, but, but you also... But I think the the point I'm making is it's really important to not not talk to people. Yeah, and and the people around you, you know, it's funny because you're talking about your seven year old talking about what you know you said that she texted you because what I get from my eight year old grandson is just a poop emoji. <laughs> that's maybe yes. what i get well boys uh, mature at a different rate <laughs> let me say that, so that's all i could think of was and that cheers me up i go like, okay <laughs> yeah that's a that's something we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back with more of the axe files and now back to the show 
you were a very engaged senator. Yep. Do you slip over to C-SPAN to watch what your colleagues are doing? And when you watch what's going on in the Senate, do you find yourself sort of shaking your fist at the screen saying, why don't they do this? Yep. Why aren't they doing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was watching the uh, Jackson hearings and I felt like... And you were on the judiciary. Committee. I was on judiciary. And I felt like... I was not a lawyer, but I played one in a sketch. <laughs> and um, but That was, was enough to get on the committee, huh? When I got on the committee, I didn't ask for judiciary. No one wanted to be on it for some reason. And Harry just gave that. He gave Harry Reid, yeah. By the way, I want to tell just a Harry or two story, but we yeah, can just, save yeah, it for great. later. Friggin' great guy. But, yeah, I was watching that, and I was going like, you know, you, come on, answer these Republicans, because they were being entirely unfair to her and no one was you know for example holly had put out some stuff that was a guy from national review a conservative has said that it uh, bordered on demagoguery and part of what he had done is she had been i think this is when she was with the sentencing commission somebody had testified that people who have this this material uh, child pornography. Yeah, child pornography aren't necessary pedophile, necessarily pedophiles. And so she replies in this hearing, something like, "So people have this material aren't necessarily pedophiles?" Question mark. And he just says, "You said in this hearing, mm -hmm. people have this material aren't necessarily pedophiles." And this had already been indicated before in an article before the hearing that he was taking a question, basically repeating back what mm -hmm. someone had said in testimony to her and saying that she that's what she was asserting. And so no one went like, Senator Hawley, that is entirely unfair. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? And mm -hmm. you know it. And this you you feel you would have if you were saying Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, just as an aside, when I was uh, doing the research for uh, the McFall thing, you know, he became a target of Putin. Of Putin's, yeah. And, and one of the things they circulated, I think, had to do with him and pedophilia. And this has become a sort of a meme of the of the kind of populist right all over the world, disinformation about that. I think, I think that. that Putin was really on the forefront of a lot of disinformation, of just the whole idea of sending out disinformation and letting it percolate up. But this particular theme, and, the, and you know, everyone on the Republican side grooming and running. all yeah, this yeah. bullshit. That stuff is, you know, really QAnon stuff, and it is really striking how this now has become sort of a, a such a pronounced meme. So you get aggravated when you, you when you hear that. Does that make it harder thinking about I should have been there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Doesn't take much <laughs> to yeah. let me go. Like, damn it. Yeah. You know, damn it, and. uh you know, right now, there's other parts of it that go like, oh, my God, this is worse than when I was there. You know, when I first got there in 09, I was on the floor, like, my first day, I think, and with a few of the older uh, senators, veterans, and they said, oh, it's the worst it's ever been. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and then Carl Levin, who, who was great, Carl says, well, actually, it's been worse. And I, I said, oh, really, when? He says... 1854. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that I culminated said, in a civil war. And but, I said, uh, you, you're talking about Charles Sumner 
getting caned on the floor? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, you know, that was, yes. I said, that was yeah. some war. Yes. I go, okay. But since... <laughs> it know, actually I, does seem like it's worse. And I think what you're going to see in this midterm that you're going to see a lot of people lose who are sort of glue people, who you know, who are people who actually can work Hope not, boy. But I mean, I think that's the. the, the who, are you, who are you thinking? Well, I'm just talking about. I'm not talking about the Senate now. I know you, oh, your you're, house, you're house, a senator, yeah. so you don't actually think about the House. Oh, dare I say the House? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking about the House. But I do think, depending on how hard the how high the tide is, I think everyone in a close like in Arizona, in Georgia, in Nevada, all of them are all of them are in danger. But this raises a point, which is in 2000... 2000- I think there's many a, a slip twixt cup and lip for the Republicans, and I think a lot of stuff can happen between now and then, including the June 6th... In June, there'll be the January 6th hearings. Yes. And then there'll also be the Supreme Court will come out. They'll get rid of Roe. Yeah, which will presumably galvanize people. Yeah, so uh, I, but, I think there's some mileage yeah, to go. And um, it's, it does matter. Candidates do matter, depending on the size of the tide. I mean, if the tide is... No. I mean, 1980, you, you and I are both old enough to remember, there are some people who got elected who are complete knuckleheads, and they, they defeated some of the giants in the history of the U.S. Senate, mm-hmm. but the Reagan wave was such that they were able to uh, to get elected. But- I, I don't remember which was worse. 84 was as bad, or by then they had all been cleaned out. No, Be- I think that was the year that you lost Church, McGovern, uh, uh-huh. a whole bunch of uh, really stellar people in the Senate. On both sides, by the way, Javits lost that year in, in, uh, in Oh, that in, was, in re- a, yeah. In a, in a but primary. Church and McGovern, we're talking Idaho and South Dakota, it, yes. and you're seeing a trend. Uh, well, let me, yeah. yeah, even then, but let me ask you about this, because in 2014, you uh, got reelected, and you got reelected by 10 points yeah in a state that has a large rural population yep and democrats lost i think nine seats in the senate that year am i right about that I yeah think, something yeah, like that yeah all right so you've got the secret sauce what is your advice to democrats now and is there a you know it looks as if little by little rural states are going are becoming inaccessible to Democrats, you look at eight, you look at 2024, Al, and uh, Tester in Montana is up, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, and of course Manchin, who now is actually pretty popular because Republicans like him in West. Oh yeah, Virginia. Manchin is. I'm not worried about Joe. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm worried whether he stays a Democrat, but I think he will. Tester seems to pull these out. Sherrod seems to do really well in the state. All right, that's we another, can pick up Ohio. We can. We can. We can but we, let me talk about rural yes. Minnesota. Uh, the trend has been part of it is this where people are getting their information. It's where people are, are, are being separated. People are living in bluer blue people live in bluer areas and red people live in redder areas. We we know that. There is what media they consume. But one of the things is it makes a difference if you're a candidate. One of the things I loved about running for the Senate the first time and being a senator and campaigning the second time and still being a senator is that you meet everybody. You know, people ask me like, oh, going on tour, what what are you hearing? Are you hearing a lot of, you know, what are people saying? I go, I don't know. People come to see me or people like me. I don't know. When I was in Minnesota, I would go everywhere in Minnesota and I would talk to, and you find out that people are pretty great 
And like, oh, you know what drove me nuts is when Cruz went to Cancun. And when he went to Cancun, and of course he lied about it and came back. And then I remember Ben Shapiro said like, well, there's nothing he could do anyway. This was during the ice storms in Texas. Yeah, yeah. And I went, no, during a disaster, you can do an awful lot. And one of the things you do is that you have, you're one of only two statewide elected federal officials. And you have a staff and they're, they're in touch with FEMA. And you can, if you see like a, a water purification plant that they don't have electricity, you can get a diesel generator to them and get clean water for people. You also can go and tell people, okay, it's a federal disaster. Keep records of what you've lost, which gives them hope. But you also learn how fucking great people are. And I've been to floods where people are giving people housing, where churches are serving meals. And I don't know if they're Republicans or Democrats. I just yeah. don't know. No, it's such an important And point. people are, I remember this one couple, this is south of Duluth, terrible flood. They lost their home, foundation broke. And it was 96 that day. And he's like in these weird little shorts and he's fat and sweaty. And and they went, well, you know, we were thinking of moving to Missouri now because we have family there. But, you know, these teenagers, they took all our stuff to the dumpster. They spent the whole weekend doing that. And we're going to stay here because this is our community. Mm-hmm. You learn how great people are. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one they of the, can feel that. That's one of the tragedies of uh, of of our time. The dehumanization we yield to caricatures, and when if you can penetrate that, you find out that we have a common humanity. You know, humor makes a difference too. Like the first time I met, there's a thing called Farm Fest in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So the first time I did Farm Fest, so I'm from St. Louis Park which yes. is the Jewish suburb of Minneapolis. Yes. So you can imagine how much I knew about farming growing up. Yes. So I go to this thing, Farm Fest, is every year they have it in southwestern Minnesota, and all these farmers, but also people. In, it, one out of six jobs in Minnesota is tied to ag. Did you say, where do you grow pickles? Uh, <laughs> well, I know they're cucumbers, and you brine them. I <laughs> yes, do know that. But okay. anyway, I knew enough of that. But anyway, so you speak under this tent with uh, 300 farmers and other people. In so at one point, I just go, you know, I grew up in St. Louis Park, and everybody in Minnesota knows what St. Louis Park is. I said, and as you can imagine, growing up, I knew nothing about farming. In fact, when I was eight years old, if you had asked me where food comes from, guess what I would have said? And if you went grocery store, and I said, no, I would have said the farm because I wasn't a complete idiot. <laughs> The whole place bursts in laughter. They like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because yeah. they're saying, like, how can someone not know food comes from a farm, mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I was saying. And so, you know, obviously I was endorsed by the Farmers Union, but the Farm Bureau and the Farm Bureau endorsed Coleman. But the second time out, when I won by 10 points, the Farm Bureau didn't endorse anybody. Yeah, which is a win. Because Yes, because I knew their issues. Mm-hmm. And I disagree with them on some things. But they knew me. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason that you can't have the people in your state know you. No one can listen to this and, and not divine how much you enjoyed this. Now, when you're on the road and you ignore, you know, people who show up at your shows, they show up at your shows because they like you. Mm-hmm. How often do people say, you really ought to come back? You really ought to be in politics again? Well, till recently, I've had this thing where I draw a map of the U.S. and answer questions. But I while you're doing while you're, an, you're you draw the map while you're answering questions, I'm the only person in America who can do that. 
Yeah. Anyway, so so I but people would fill out these questions on cards and half of them are are you going to run again? Are you going to run again? Are you going to run again? And what do you say? I don't answer those questions. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. Well, your bad fortune is that you're sitting here with me now and okay. I'm asking you the question. Do you think you can? Mm-hmm. Do you think you should? Mm-hmm. Do you think you might? Can should might. Can should might. Yes. Yeah, Let you me can write draw a map. Down. You can certainly remember these three words. No, right? I have to write them down. Yeah. Can should might might oh, okay yes. <laughs> okay can i run again i don't know should i oh might I? no okay can i run again i don't know <laughs> that's uh but i think i could it depends what we're talking about should i you know some people ask me like should you know 24 i could run in new york 24 i'm not gonna do that uh, you know we're gonna have to be using so many resources to elect re-elect president biden or whoever we're running that i hope it's biden and we're just gonna all these races are gonna be up we can't spare those resources but maybe somewhere else might i do it i'm keeping it open can i do it i wouldn't do it if i didn't think i i could the reason i would want to do it is i love being able to get things done and accomplish things for people and i did i did a lot of that and I thought I was good at it. And how would you react to the weaponization of what happened to you? And you would get a lot of very hostile questions and very and some very legitimate questions about the whole last episode of your political career yeah. and how it ended. Well, I'd have to answer them. And, you know, that's, you know, the question is, to what extent would that be a terrible experience for mm-hmm. my family? Right. And for my grandchildren? Right. That's something that weighs on me. Yes. And weighs on my kids. So I think by now, all the time, I have people coming up to me that are very supportive. Of course, people that aren't probably don't come up to you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's very nice of them. <laughs> but my, so my sense of, uh, of, of this is maybe skewed a little bit, but my sense is that most people think that I got a, a bad deal. Before we go, I do want to, uh, Harry Reid passed away. Oh, God. Love Harry. Former uh, majority leader, Democratic leader in the Senate, really a, a one of a kind. Uh, and yep. uh, you said you wanted to tell us stories about him. So just share your favorite story about Harry Reid. Well, Harry had a very dry sense of humor, but a great sense of humor. He was, so I just wanted to tell this one. So uh, after State of the Union address, we're going from, the house chamber back to the senate and we're walking through statuary hall and there's this red carpet down the middle of it and on either side are gaggles huge gaggles of press and there's this just din in yeah bouncing off the ceilings yeah the the marble marble and all all that so no one can hear anything anybody's saying unless you're right next to them so i'm walking with harry and i turn to harry and i go harry talk to me like i'm important and harry without Skipping a beat just turns to me and goes, that would be impossible. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Harry. That was Harry. And Harry would like, (laughs) very often in in caucus lunches, Harry would be the only person who would laugh at my joke. (laughs) And so once- So that's uh, why you loved him. Well, that's, yes, actually. (laughs) Anybody who asks my stuff, I love him. So one day, like Bernie, it was ranking on, on budget. And so he's reporting what the 
what the Republicans passed out of the budget committee. And it went, and this thing, they cut food stamps. And so Bernie goes, what kind of religion wants to cut food stamps? And I just say, Southern Baptist. And Harry was the only one who laughed. I thought, that's a great joke. Thank well, you, Harry. Well, maybe it's better that you're back on the road again, huh? Well, you know, so a lot of my colleagues had had uh, really good senses of humor, but every once in a while, Harry was the only one really tuned into it. Well, Al, it's good to see you. I'm glad to see you out and about and back on the well, road. Well, it's good to see you. Things. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for your friendship. You know, we met cute. <laughs> and the whole point about meeting cute is that then then you have a bromance afterwards. Yeah. And I really am so grateful for your friendship. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, brought to you by the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio. The executive producer of the show is Allison Siegel. The show is also produced by Miriam Finder Annenberg, Jeff Fox, and Hannah Grace McDonald. And special thanks to our partners at CNN, including Rafina Ahmad, Courtney Coop, Ashley Lusk, and Megan Marcus. For more programming from the IOP, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.